So Romans 2, beginning of verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches and the, his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. So, Everyone who approaches these verses all say pretty much the same thing, that these are difficult verses if you don't take the rest of the Bible into account to figure out what it is that Paul is saying here. Um, if all you have of God's Word were these verses, uh, 6 through 11 in particular, then that sounds an awful lot like what he's saying is, is that he will render to each one according to his works. Well, that's exactly what he says. He will render to each one according to his works. So we like to understand that the gospel is we're judged not by works. It's not by works, but by faith. Even our faith is not of works. It's a gift freely given, lest anyone should boast. So what in the world could he be talking about here? And as we go through this, and Steve Lawson has a um, study he's, on online on YouTube um, in Romans and um, I listened to, to that, and it really helped um, kind of get some of these things straight. So anything good that I say that's noteworthy, it probably came from Steve Lawson. So um, if, you, if you listen to those and say, hey, my pastor said those same things. Yeah, I did. So maybe he got it from me. You never know, except I just told you. So one of the things we see here in 6 through 11 is the fact that we have a, a, what's called a chiastic structure. This is kind of one of these unimportant but cool things that's interesting. Uh, it also helps us to see that 6 through 11 is its own little, um, little piece right here. And so a chiastic structure, chi is the Greek letter X. So it looks like this. So a chiastic structure is if um, he says in verse 6, he'll render it each one according to his works as A. Then if you go down to 11, for God shows no partiality, partiality. It kind of returns to that thought. So those two things are parallel to each other. Then the next verse, what you see is, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he'll give eternal life. We're going to call that B, because that's talking about believers. And then when you get to 8, this is going to be C. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Okay, now we're going to do C again. We're going to talk about the unbelievers again. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also for the Greek. Now we're going to go back to B, which is the believers, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also for the Greek. And then back to A, for God shows no partiality. 
if you're able to follow that line of thinking. There's two things that are being done when writers, particularly in Scripture, use that sort of thing. You see it all over the place. Isaiah is just, if you, if you ever read a good commentary on Isaiah and you want to take the time to kind of read through it, Isaiah is full of chiastic stuff. Like the whole Bible is like, the, the whole book of Isaiah is, and sections of it are. It's just like, even people who don't believe uh, Isaiah is inspired by God believe that it is one of the most amazing literary books that there is because of all the structure of how it works. But our God is a God of structure. And like what the chiastic structure does, it puts a focus on that middle part because it's repeated. And so it's talking about these evildoers that will be judged. But also the beginning and the end are thought about. And what we're seeing is there's a standard of judgment and it'll be without partiality. And so we've got to think, all right, what's, what's the point? What is Paul um, saying in here? And so we start, the reason I started in, in chapter 2, verse 1, is because I don't want to go back through chapter 1 and read the whole thing. But remember, chapter 1 is about all these immoral people and the things they've done. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. All these different sins, and God's turned them over to all these different sins. And so we, as believers, and, in, and some of this is also to get the Jewish people to think, you know, you need to think about this because you believe that you're Jewish and therefore you're in covenant with God and therefore you can't and never will be judged. But he's saying judgment will be for the Jew first and also for the Greek. So we've got to think about what does that mean because why do we care? We're not Jewish in here, but for the, I don't think so for the most part anyway. But we are in covenant with God as believers. And so we have to be careful not to fall into the same error that some of the early Jewish believers, as Israel did a great deal, was to believe because, um, as Jeremiah would say to the people of God who are in rebellion against God, out of faith, he would say, stop saying the temple, the temple, the temple, as if that's going to save you because you have the temple. So we need to stop saying, I go to church, I go to church, I give, I read the Bible, I do all these things. Because you can do all these things and not be united to Christ by faith, and those things are only making it worse for you. You're, because you are doing what he has said um, in these first passages, in verse 5, because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of, of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And if you go back to verse 4, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that his kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? So to think that because we are either, and there's a couple things you can think, um, I am better than these people. You know, I can see a lot of evil in the world, and I'm better than that. And therefore, God's going to judge me better. He's not going to judge me because I'm better than that. You might think you're not going to be judged because you don't see judgment happening. Um, that you can look around the world and you can actually see, it's like, okay, evil doesn't seem to, evil sometimes seems to be rewarded. So then we look at our own lives though and we think, okay, I'm doing good. God's blessing me, so I must be doing all right. There's not going to be judgment. So you have to be careful of that. But you also have to be careful that you aren't using grace as a thinly veiled excuse for sin, that you're just... Uh, live your life completely outside of God's plan, outside of God's will, outside of a love for God, but you believe that you're saved for whatever reason. You made a one-time profession of faith, you walk down the aisle, you got baptized, you take the Lord's Supper, you pray, you read, all these things that you may do, but if it's not united with faith to God and a love for God, then these things are still just filthy rags and are actually adding up for your, your wrath. 
because this is the reason he says for the Jew first and also for the for the Greek is because, you know, goodness, Spider-Man messed it all up for us, that line, you know, to he who much responsibility, what is it, he much power is given, much responsibility there is. But if you've been given grace, if you've been given the Bible, you've, been, you've seen baptism, you've seen um, the communion, maybe you participate in communion, you, you do all these things, you hear all these things, and yet you still don't really have faith and love God, then there's greater judgment. And so what we're going to see in these verses are this idea that's missed a lot in the church because we rightly focus on grace. We rightly say our salvation is not based on works. John Owen, a, 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 a Puritan writer, said that even our tears of repentance have to be washed by the blood of Christ. Um, and one of the Puritan writers said, you know, if there's anything I could lose, do to lose my salvation, I will possibly do it today. So God has to hold us. It's his grace that keeps us. It's, it's all by grace all the time. Even the fact that we do good things, good works, are through the grace of the Holy Spirit. So then how is it that he says here that he will render to each one according to his works? Because the first thing that should do to you, if you're a believer, is that should scare you and that you should hope he must be saying something that I'm missing. There's some other point he's making. But we have to be careful that in our desire not to have our works judged, that we twist Scripture to our destruction, we have to make sure we know what it is he says. And what he does here, he's actually quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting Psalm 64.12 and Proverbs 24.12. So both of these places, and it's mentioned in other places too, but they're direct quotes that rendering, he will render to each one according to his works. Now we might think, well, that's true in the Old Testament. That's what used to happen. You, you, it was all by works. You were saved by works. You got in by works. You were judged by works. That was Old Testament. We know better than that. Hebrews 11 clearly tells us that that's not true. It's by faith that even the people in the Old Testament were saved. The Old Testament tells us that. It's not circumcision of the flesh that matters, but circumcision of the heart. Um, you have to have a new heart. You have to have a love for God. You have to have a vital and living faith. That's what saved you because we know all the way back to Abraham, his um, faith was counted to him as righteousness. And then that's the promise that's given now to the Gentiles as we come in by faith, that we have the faith of Abraham. We come into the Abrahamic covenant so that we too have Abraham as our father as believers and we're saved by Faith, and that's counted to us, credited to us as righteousness. Now, here's where all this repayment comes in, because this word render means to repay or to give what is owed to a, a person. So let's just go and start in verse 6 and just look at each word here quick. He. Now, who is that? Well, you go back to the last verse. It's talking about God. So this is God will... And that's a definite thing. He's going to do this. So God is definitely going to render. And that again means to repay, to give as payment to somebody what is due. To each one, every single person, doesn't matter who you are, irrespective of whether you're, you know, whoever you are, Jew or Gentile in this particular case, whether you think you're a believer or you're not a believer, he's going to render to each one according to, and so this means... <laughs> This means it's proportional, and so what we see in Scripture is that rewards in heaven, we've got to be careful with these things, rewards in heaven 
will be proportional to our works as well as the, uh, the wrath of God in hell in judgment will be proportional to your works as well. So what some people will do with that is say, oh, hell might not be so bad for some people. Eh, no, wrong. Uh, and then you might say, well, heaven might not be so great for some people. Eh, no, wrong. But what we have to do is say the Bible is clear on these two issues. That judgment in hell will be fair. It will, and that's the problem with fairness and justice when you cry out to God, this isn't fair, treat me with fairness, treat me with justice. No, you will be treated with grace and mercy and kindness. This is what you want in Christ. And that's the only way because we are all saved by works, but it's the works of Christ on our behalf that saves us. So we're not talking about salvation. What we are talking about are rewards. And I don't want to use the word reward for people who are being judged um, with God's wrath, but because reward sounds like a positive thing. But you can be rewarded with bad things too. It's just the way we use the word reward. So there's a repayment. God will repay according to works. I mean, that's what this verse says. And in the Old Testament, that principle was clear because what they saw and what the Old Testament was very clear on, and if you look the New Testament is very clear on it as well. There is a difference between those who are united to Christ, those who have faith, and those who are not. And so that in the Old Testament, they would even in the Psalms call them the difference between the righteous and the wicked. Now, we're quick to say, I don't want to call myself righteous. You know, I don't want to call myself wicked. You know, I just say I'm a believer. I have faith. The Bible calls us holy ones. It calls us saints. And so, but we do need to think in categories of, as I am believing, where's my mind? What am I doing? What am I striving for? And this is what we see in verse 7. To those who by patience, and this word patience is a, a cool word, kuponame, um, which means, King James calls it a patient continuance. The NIV calls it the persistence the New American Standard says uh, perseverance. It's this word endurance. It's this in the, um, in the New Testament. And this is not from Steve Lawson. This is some dictionary thing I use. In, New in the New Testament, a man who is not, it's a man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and suffering. So he is not swerved from his deliberate purpose or his loyalty to faith and piety in even the greatest trials. So you are persevering. So it's the idea, this, this patience of Job thing. The word patience in the Old Testament is really, King James calls it this long-suffering. And so that's better. Patience, I always think it's like I'm supposed to be over here going, you know, it's like that little meme of the dog that's drinking coffee and the whole place is burning down around him. It's just, okay, okay, everything's fine, everything's fine. It's like, no, it's not. You know it's not. It's hard, but you're making it. Okay, you're, you're going to get through this, but it's going to be difficult. It's going to be trying, but through this perseverance, you can make it. So to those who by this endurance in well-doing, and this means toiling in good works is kind of literally what it says. All this just sounds weird to the gospel, and it can sound odd to our ears, but what we need to hear is how does God reward the righteous? Those who are in him. What is it? Does everybody just go to heaven? And it's, that's, I mean, it's great and glorious and that's it. It's like, 
Well, if you're in Christ, because who is it that by patience and well-doing seek for glory? Now this, and my, my thought was, well, there's a lot of, um, like you, you see these military people or pirates or things like this, you know, seeking glory. You know, it's like, that's self-glory. And he's going to condemn those people in a bit. So this isn't, they're not seeking self-glory. They're seeking a glory which comes from God. Okay? They will be glorified, but it's also glorifying God. But we are seeking for glory. And there's several verses that, that Paul uses in Romans 5, 2. It says, um, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Romans 8, 18, our sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. And in 8, 21 and 30, it says that we will be glorified. In 9, 23, it talks about the riches of his glory. So that's what we're seeking. We're seeking this glory of God, this glory from God, and then honor. It's an honor from God that's given to us. Because what do you want to hear? Well done, good and faithful servant. That's a reward. And then there will be some that we see in Scripture who have done more works out of faith than others have. And we're going to, we'll look at that. Um, but it's seeking this honor from God, this well-done, good and faithful servant, and immortality. And this word immortality can also be translated as this incorruption, and it's this resurrection hope we have from God. So this is this triunity of things that the believer is searching for, this glory from God, this honor from God, this immortality, this resurrection hope that we have. And to those who are seeking for, for that, he will give eternal life. Who does he give eternal life to? Not to those who are, are actually, we look at, wow, these people are trying to do real good, but they're not believers. Well, the Bible is clear that anything not of faith is sin. And if they're seeking the good, but apart from God, they're seeking it either to glorify themselves or to glorify some other human, and they're not doing it for God. They're not doing it out of faith. So this is talking about believers who are <coughs> seeking God, and there will be reward for this. We look at this a little bit more. So verse 8, but for those who are self-seeking. Okay, so this is the same thing. You may be seeking glory for yourself. You may be seeking to glorify yourself, just to seek everyone to honor me, just for, for the sake of me, myself. For this, those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. So you're obeying somebody. You know, if you're either in your, the Bible teaches that you're a slave either to Christ or you're a slave to sin. People may think that when they're slaves to sin, that they're just doing what they want and how they want and when they want. They're trying to do the right thing. But they're actually slaves to sin and unrighteousness. They're obeying unrighteousness. And what it says here is there will be wrath and fury for these. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being. And the word there is it's actually the soul of all men for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, why does he throw that in there? And this is where we see our point. Because the Jews may have been looking at this and thinking, we don't receive judgment. It's those people. They're going to receive judgment. The bad guys. The ones who are doing all the bad stuff. We're good. And why are we good? Because we're Jews. We're God's chosen people. So you have to be careful of that in the church. Because you might think the same thing. You just use grace as this idea that you're not going to be judged. I've got my, I used to call it my get out of hell free card. You know, you got, you went down the aisle, you got your get out of hell free card. You live your life without a, a thought to God or Christ or things of God, or maybe occasionally you do, but you don't really have this vital, loving 
faith, and then you, you show up in heaven, and they're like, why should I let you into heaven? And you're like, wait a second, somewhere I've got my get-out-of-hell free card here. And Jesus may say, depart from me, you worker of unrighteousness, I never knew you. Not honor. You want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So how do we get to this well done? And in verse 10, he goes back. So there is this tribulation and distress and wrath for for everyone, the Jew first, so don't think you're missing it because you've been given much, but also for the Gentile, everyone is going to be judged the same. But glory and honor and peace, now they say, this shalom, this relational peace with God for everyone who does good, the Jew first, and also for the Greek. So he's like, it has to do with, in these verses, works. For God shows no partiality. Point being, he's not going to show partiality because you're Jewish. He's not going to show partiality because you're Gentile. He's going to judge righteously, and he's going to judge fairly. So then we have to say, okay, got it. So we have to keep in our minds the category of believer and unbeliever. Then you have to figure out, what do you mean by works? What is this works thing? Because you could fall into another error, which is you're saved by faith and grace. You stay in salvation through works. And some people teach that. Yeah, be very careful because that's what your flesh will want you to believe. That God loves me a whole lot at first because he gave Jesus. And I get saved and it's like, oh man, God's very happy with me because I went forward. I said the prayer. I did the things. I got baptized. I did whatever. Very happy with me. Life goes on. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. And then all of a sudden, failure, sin, you know, all these things start to happen and God starts to go, mm, yeah, you were doing well. <laughs> What's going on here? And so you get to heaven and he's like, maybe you get in, maybe you don't. You know, so it's, it's not that at all. What we're talking about for the believer is not degrees of punishment. It's, we're not going to be looking at that. We're going to be, because there's no condemnation for sin. We are talking about, however, degrees of reward. And what in the world? So let's look at that so we can figure these, these things out. So first, I want you to go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. So it's Colossians. You kind of keep going. It's all these letters of Paul are grouped together. G-E-P-C. So Paul talks, this is uh, Colossians 1, 10. So for Paul, when he talks about these works for the believer, for the church, he's talking about really is a close walk with Christ Jesus, a close walk with Jesus. And so he commends the church in Colossae here um, for their works, but he defines it. So Colossians 1.10, um, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. So you walk in this manner that's fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So you see what's happening is there are works. And in Philippians, we're told to have this outworking of your salvation with fear and trembling. That they're, they're, what he's saying here is you, you have a fruit, you're bearing fruit. And so what fruit means is um, it's, not, it's the fruit of having God working in you. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit working through you. There's things that you do out of this 
fruit of the Holy Spirit working in you, and you're being commended for these things. It's like it's been called um, God's rewarding his own work within you. That C.S. Lewis calls it um, sixpence none the richer. And it was a band that called themselves that for a while. And what it is, a, a father has given his child sixpence, however much that is in England. And he gives him sixpence. The kid goes, takes the sixpence, buys a gift, gives the gift to the father. And the father just rejoices in this gift. This is, oh, thank you, this is great. Well, he paid for it. He's, not, he's none the richer. But the enrichment has been the child now gets to give something to the father that the child could not have given had the father not given something to the child. And that's in C.S. Lewis is saying, this is how the father rewards his own works within us. And what we have to do, and we'll see in scripture is, we're given crowns, these different types of crowns. And what we see in Revelation is taking these crowns and casting them at Jesus' feet. Casting crowns is another band. These bands love these songs about these things. So it's, that's the thing. So as we go through life and their trials, as we go through life and our difficulties, as we go through life and we might say with some of the apostles, some of the disciples of Christ, I have followed you. I have obeyed you. I have faith in you. I do all these things. It's getting harder. All I'm getting is rejection. That's why I wanted to sing Jesus on my cross have taken. You know, um, they have left my Savior too. And so the disciples at one point come to Jesus and say, we've left everything. And Jesus is like, you're going to get a reward greater than anything you've ever... What do you mean you've left everything? You're following me. I'm the greatest reward. And there will be rewards both in this life and in the life to come. So it's still this idea of rewards. And so what we have to be aware of is that, and we're going to see it, I'm going to get moving along here, um, is God does not simply command us as servants to do things. He works within us to cause us to want to do things. And then out of his grace and lavishing further grace upon us, he rewards those works that he calls us to be able to do. So look at Ezekiel. Find that real quick. Ezekiel 36. All the prophets are together. Ezekiel is one of the bigger ones, so it's closer to the front of the prophets. Isaiah and Jeremiah. Get to Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36, beginning in verse 24. He says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I see the new covenant being talked about here. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. Okay, what's that? That sounds like baptism to me. That's what baptism represents, this cleansing of sin. I've taken you, sprinkled clean water on you, and you shall be clean. But then we get part of what we also see in the Lord's Supper. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. So think about it. New heart, new spirit. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is a fruit of and a result of the Holy Spirit coming to somebody's life and having them to be born again. Why does a believer do good works? And one of the answers is out of thanksgiving. And it's like, that's, that's right, that's true. But even that is going to only flow out of a heart that has a desire to do something to be thankful for God. So God has to do something in our hearts to give us a desire to do good things. 
And you think about it, if you do a good thing, but you didn't really want to, you just did it because you didn't want somebody to spank you or hit you or yell at you or something, eh, good that you did it, but your heart behind it isn't so good. And God is after the heart, not mere external obedience. But when he works on our hearts, there will be external obedience. And God says there will be great reward for those things. He's not going to just say, you know, not just well done, good and faithful servant. Riches of heaven. And um, Jonathan Edwards says it like this. It, he, he says it's comparison. He does this both in heaven and hell. He says, you're, you're a vessel. You're, you know, like a big bowl, a bucket. You're a bucket. So you got this, you're, you're a vessel. And you're capable of holding so much of God's treasures and, and, and beauty and joy. And you'll be filled to the brim. If you've got one bit more, you'd bless. You can't take it. Like, don't, like, this is all I can take. And it'd probably be ever increasing the exploring of the riches and the glories of God. But some vessels may be a little bigger. They can experience a little more. They can't handle any more. But nobody's going to be like, oh, they got more than me. No, that's sin. It's nothing but joy because everything is just going to be perfect and, and joyous in heaven. But also in hell. Some people will be able to experience because of things they've done here on earth. They will experience greater uh, depths of the shame and wrath of God than others might be able to experience. But you will experience so much that it's beyond your ability of endurance. But you'll have to endure. It's, hell is a very complicated thing. And if, you, if we were not told of its reality in heaven, we'd be tempted to believe that it, there, it doesn't exist, that people are just wiped out of existence, which would make no sense because then it would be as if nobody ever lived and as if nothing happened. So um, that's not the case. But what we see is God causing the believer to have a new heart. And then, um, Revelation 20. Let's go, last book of the New Testament, Revelation 20, 11 through 15. I saw the great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled and no place was found for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne in context, we know these are the non-believers who are now standing to be judged. Books were open, and then another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged by what's written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So this is judgment according to what they had done. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I don't usually jump so many places, but I do think we need to see what the Bible says about these things so we can get a, get a good grasp on what we're actually talking about lest we go off into some strange errors. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. 2 Corinthians 5, 6. <clears throat> so we're always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we're of good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. 
But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not condemning, commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of God controls us. So again, being controlled, compelled by this love of God. But we do see you will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ in verse 10 to receive what is due for what is done in the body, whether good or evil. I remember hearing this verse. I had a big argument with my seminary professor over this thing because he sure did sound like he was saying, all your sins are going to be brought up to you as a believer. And it's like, no. <laughs> that is, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That Our sins are removed from us as far as the east is from the west. Our sin has been forgiven. Our sin has been, that's not how we're going to be judged. But he's saying everyone must be before. And I, I think what we're going to see in this next passage is, is what you're doing as a believer. Are you building on the gospel or are you building yourself? Because all we, if you look at your life as a believer, you know there are times when what you, we can look at other people, it's better to keep an eye on ourselves, that there are times when what we've done in the name of the gospel has been about us. Or it's we've done things or said things that did not promote Christ. And that stuff we did, I mean, maybe it was something magnificent we did. It's like, that's going to be burned up. Because you didn't do it for the cause of Christ. But there will be things that you did out of faith that you may look at later and go, I didn't even know I did that. And so let's look at that. That's Matthew 25. And we're about at the end here. So Matthew 25, um, verse 31, says, you know, the sheep and the, the goats. So think about it with this. So Matthew 25, verse 31, Son of man comes in his glory, all the angels with him. He'll sit on his glorious throne, and before him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. All right, so what just happened? Judgment. That's what just happened. A judgment between the believers and the non-believers. That has happened. Okay, there's a group of people over here, and there's a group of people, they've already gone through and done this. This is not how are we going to determine who are believers and who are not believers. This has to do with something else. So then verse 34, the king will say to those on his right, these sheep, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. That is not the basis of their salvation. That is the teaching of the liberal church. If you go to a liberal church and they start talking about why they do good things, it's because we do good things because that's how we will be judged and that's how we get into heaven. That is not how you get into heaven. You get into heaven by faith alone and Christ alone. That's it. To the glory of God alone. By grace alone. The Bible is very clear. However, what he does here is saying, you did these things. And then verse 37, the righteous are going to look at him and they're going to say, when did we do that? I mean, that's what they say right there. When did, when did we see these things? When did we do these things? And the king will answer them. I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And then he says those on the left, depart from me, accursed, 
into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me. I was naked. So in verse 34, then they will answer also, and the Lord, they will say, Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, a stranger, naked, or sick, in prison, and did not minister to you? See the difference in perspective? The righteous are saying, like, I, I, I don't know what you, this is grace, I don't understand it. And the non-believers are looking at this and going, you're ridiculous. When did we not do this? And he was like, whenever you didn't do it, at least he's not saying you never did it. He's saying, but whenever you did not. He doesn't say that to the believers. We're not being judged on whenever we did not. We're being rewarded for whenever you did. So acting out of the Holy Spirit, what he's saying is in these passages in Romans, is that God graciously rewards the deeds of faith performed by believers as we outwork our own salvation, for it is God who works within us. And he is giving a warning here in Romans 2 to say, don't presume upon the riches of God because you're judging people who are doing evil, and you do evil, and you can be judged in the same way. Are you in Christ? Do you have faith? Are you following me? Do you love me? Are you seeking for honor from God? Are you seeking from glory and immortality? Are you seeking these things? Are you seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness? That's the question. And so in our judgment of other people, we have to be very careful of that, that we say, were it not for the grace and glory of Christ, there go I as well. So that we, we, we pray for, we have grace for, we try to figure out how do we love those who are perishing. But what Paul is saying is there is reward. There's hope. There's the gospel. There's salvation in Christ. There's great reward. And that's what we hope for. And as we come to this table, we even have a foretaste of that. So that as we, and the Bible is pretty clear on this, as we go through our life and we have these hardships and we have these things and we're trying to obey the faith, but things keep happening and they're very difficult, remember that Christ is there. And he's saying, I love you. I'm with you. These things do not define our relationship. And they're working an eternal weight of glory. So let's pray. Father God, um, these things are, are, are deep, deep things. Help us to get in the mind of, of, the, of the first century Jew. Help us to get in the mind of, of, of you as we look at what does it mean to be a follower of you. That it's all by faith. And it's all by grace, by your spirit. But there is an outworking in a believer. As even as we pray, forgive us our debts. As we forgive those who are indebted to us. That we begin to see an outworking of the spirit in our lives. Help us to, to pray for that more. Help us to desire that more. Help us to want more of you. And to, to, to get rid of the sinful stuff that would seem to externally identify us with the unrighteous. Help us to, to live out the, the faith that we proclaim so that we do remember that we are worse than we think we are, but your grace is far greater than we could ever imagine. So we thank you. Help us to live Christ-like lives. And as we pray in your holy name, amen.